Today, we're going to be doing something that I wrestled with um, over the last couple weeks. I know that we've been gathering as a church for so long, so I've had so much time to think, but... <laughs> um, I'll just say in brevity, uh, being a pastor or preacher, um, dividing the word rightly in a way that honors God, uh, something I tremble at. Uh, I I look at the depth and richness of the word that we hold here, that I'm holding, and I just realized there's such life and truth and power in the words that we get to sit and read and hear and and hear proclaimed with boldness. And I am so careful to do this in a way that honors God, in a way that doesn't neglect the truth that I need to proclaim as, for right now, the teacher of the church as we're growing. Um, Many things have been done throughout history to distort or outright deny the truths that are represented in God's Word. And sometimes that's done in a way that's accidental. And what I'm starting today is a form of preaching that is very arduous um, at its core. It's what's referred to as expository preaching, um, biblical exegesis. It's the idea at its core of just preaching through the gospel um, and keeping the words that God has divinely inspired the writers of the Bible to write down for us to study today and keeping it in the context that says what's being talked about, who's being talked to, and from whether it's the Old Testament or an epistle or a psalm, what what does it have to do with the church today? And these are areas that um, if somebody's going to rightly divide, it's got to be done with fear and trembling. It has to be. Because if we just look at these words and say, ah, I know what that means, or or yeah, that's just that's just simple right there. It just it's, it's being careless with with God's revelation to us, and we should never be careless with the truth that God has revealed to us. There are unsearchable depths, it seems at times, that we read through the scriptures, and it's just like God, you are so big, I don't understand what you're doing here. I I, I can't wrap around my mind what you're saying, and th- that happens sometimes. It happens to me more frequently than I like, because I want to understand everything that God has to communicate to us. Um, but we're all at His mercy. And you know, when, one thing that I keep having to remind myself of is that wisdom comes from God, and God alone. And these words that I'm preaching from today, everybody can read. An atheist can read these words. A Mormon can read these words. And a Christian can read these words. But it's only through God, from God, and through the Holy Spirit that we can actually receive wisdom and divine truth as we study these words. 
God blesses those who gather in His name the way that He has said and live lives honoring to Him. And then in simple form says, if you want wisdom, ask for it. And He'll give it to you. And I am constantly seeking the Lord's truth in this. Today, we're starting in the book of Acts. And it's not what I would guess something that would be too confusing to you as to why I think that it would be good for us to start as a new church in the book of Acts. Because it is the birth of the church that we witness in this epistle. Um, Let me get started. Uh, You know, as we're talking about seeking the Lord and His truth and His his grace, and we're singing here just before starting the reading of His Word by praising Him uh, through song. I want to, again, go to the Lord in prayer expectantly and with petition for Him to just do a transforming work in the body and for Him also to use me as a proclaimer of His truth and to guard me from the error that we see a lot in our day today. So let's pray Uh, before we read the Lord's Word this morning. Father, there's no praying too much. You you instruct us to pray continually. And we want our hearts to be always bent towards that truth, Lord, is that we always want to be singing to You and worshiping You, even if it's in the silence of, of just our minds, Lord, we're opening a living and active Word as, as we sit here today and we read the words on these pages that have been divinely inspired by You, our God, the one God of this creation, the one God of this universe, of all things, Lord. You are God and God alone. And we worship You as one. Father, the things that we are going to begin talking about today are those things that are just rich depth and we want to know Your truth, Lord. Guard my mouth as I speak today. I just, far be it from me, Lord, that I would speak in error on anything that You have for Your people. I pray for Your wisdom, even now, as we, as a body of believers, seek the transformation that You do by the power of Your Word through Your Spirit, whom You've sent to do that transforming work through us. We pray with expectation, Lord, that that Spirit, Your Spirit, be at work in us. Do miraculous transforming work. Illuminate Your words, Lord. We know that to some, they could read over these pages with deadness in their eyes. Because it is you and you alone that can give life and give wisdom. It is by you alone that we could even know and understand what truth is. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We can't pay it back. 
Lord, you have given us grace. You have shown us grace. And abundant grace upon grace. And we want to celebrate that today. And we want to celebrate that throughout the week. And we want that truth of your grace and your awe and might to overwhelm us as we go through our weeks. That we know we have a good Father that loves us and that we can shout from the rooftops boldly, unapologetically, Lord, that you are God and that you deserve worship. You deserve the praise that you created us for. Bless this time, Lord, and grow us in your truth. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I am going to be preaching through the entire book of Acts in the weeks and maybe months to come. I am not going to be breaking this into predefined sections for the next few months in a way that can tell you exactly what we're going to be talking about. So, with that being said, I would encourage you to read a few chapters at a time and follow along with us because I will not be skipping over several chapters, but I may skip over certain passages depending on where the Lord leads me and we will continue through the book of Acts as 
week to week goes by. Um, so I would encourage, like for this week, for you guys to read maybe the first two or three chapters, um, because we're going to be solely in chapter one today. But for the sake of following through the book and understanding that context which we spoke of, and being sure that you don't miss any subjects that I might not focus on during our hour together or so. Um, that would be one of the reasons I'd encourage you to read it in your own time as we go through the weeks together. <clears throat> this book that we read in Acts is a is Luke's last letter, and it's his epistle to his friend Theophilus. It's the introduction that we read. It's one of the best ways to get context that we're talking about is by reading the, the opening verse of the books of the Bible. And we see here, it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke is writing to his friend, and it is a follow-up to his initial epistle, which was Luke as we read in the Bible. Now, when it comes to the book of Acts, there is, let's say, a bit of controversy. Uh, there is two main camps that people kind of fall into when we look at this book. It'll be the difference between being prescriptive or descriptive. And the difference between that idea would be that prescriptive would be something that is prescribing truths for the church today in our day. Uh, descriptive, on the contrast, would be describing a historical account of something. Both are true, but one says do this, and one says this was, and no longer is. I believe it's both. Uh, I'm going to argue that perspective today. I don't think it's 100% one or 100% the other. If it were 100% prescriptive, we would be casting lots uh, to see who leads the next Bible study as we read down lower in the chapter. Um, you know, who's, who's going to uh, maybe start another church in, in, in Africa? You know, take the lots and cast them down. This is what the apostles did, so it's what we should do in the church. No, that would be 100% prescriptive. Um, on the contrast, 100% descriptive would be saying something like, well, what happened in the book of Acts and what they did at Pentecost was a working of God, but isn't something necessary that we should do today. And that's why I say it's not 100% of either or. We need to read through this letter to Theophilus and know that it's divinely inspired by God and understand how it applies to the church today as we sit here as the congregation. Now, if you guys are highlighters or underliners or drawers in your Bible, I would recommend, as we're looking at this first chapter, there is one verse that can under, like you could underline just to say, what is the purpose of this book? And it is Acts 1, verse 8. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the point. And it is a powerful point. That word power is even spoken 
in that verse, as we talk about what it is to be the church, what God is doing, what He did in this point, descriptively in the history of the church in Acts, and what He is doing today, prescriptively in the church today, for even Douglas Church, for Wheaton Bible Church, and wherever you go where true saints are gathering together today for the proclamation of God's truth, for the breaking of bread, for prayer, and devoting themselves to the teaching of the Scriptures. I am going to read an excerpt from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' book uh, to describe something that we here talked about in verse 8. Because to understand what this book is about, we really need to get a grip because the whole book of Acts talks about this filling, this clothing, this power that the Holy Spirit bestows on believers today and in the book of Acts as we read just now. So this is, this is a, uh, an excerpt that talks about um, what it is to be clothed In Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Joy Unspeakable, talks about the difference between common Christian living and what it happens when the Holy Spirit clothes a person with power or comes upon a person with this unusual power. He says it's like a child walking along, holding his father's hand. I want you guys to picture this. And if you want to, even close your eyes to think about what this feels like. He says it's like a child walking along, holding his father's hand. All is well. The child is happy. He feels secure. His father loves him. He believes that his father loves him. But there is no unusual urge to talk about this or sing about it. It's true. And it's pleasant. Then suddenly... The father startles the child by reaching down and sweeping him up into his arms and hugging him tightly and kissing him on the neck and whispering, I love you so much. And then holding the stunned child back so that he can look into his face and saying with all his heart, I am so glad you are mine. Then hugging him once more with unspeakable unspeakable warmth and affection. Then he puts the child down and they continue their walk. This, Lloyd-Jones says, is what happens when a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit. A pleasant and happy walk with God is swept up into an unspeakable new level of joy and love, and assurance, and reality that leaves the Christian so utterly certain of the immediate reality of Jesus that he is overflowing in praise and more free and bold in witness than he ever imagined he could be. The child is simply stunned. He doesn't know whether to cry or shout or fall down or run. He is so happy. The fuses of love 
are so overloaded they almost blow out. Subconscious doubts that he wasn't thinking about at the time, but that pop up every now and then, are gone. And in their place is utter and undestructible assurance. So that you know, that you know, that you know that God is real and that Jesus lives and that you are loved and that to be saved is the greatest thing in the world. And as you walk on down the street, you can scarcely contain yourself and you want to cry out, My Father loves me! My Father loves me! Oh, what a great Father I have! What a Father! What a Father! When I read that description, like, man, there is, there is just a perfect analogy of what it feels like. I, I would say that most of us know or can describe one level or another what that feels like in some capacity. And when we read that description, to be swept up in a time where it's just like, he said, you just have no doubts. You just, you're like, man, I remember that time before where it's like, I was wrestling through this this question or this reality and, 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 and then all of a sudden God makes all that for a season or for a time or a day or whatever it is just disappear and you're overflowing with joy and say, how could I have ever done it before? And then you think, this is great. I'm a new person. And then all of a sudden, you know, things continue as normal. Like, what is that? How do you describe that? That's what that is. And that's the argument that I'm going to be making today as we talk about the book of Acts and this controversial topic of what it is to be baptized or filled by the Holy Spirit. I want to preface this few minutes that we're going to be talking about this today with two points that I want very clear. So whether you discern this in what I'm speaking today or you just hear it from my statements, I want two things very clear. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwells believers at the point of conversion and stays put. That's a first and very important and no accepts or clauses. That's a simple truth that I affirm today and will affirm tomorrow. Two, The Holy Spirit does a supernatural work in the life of the believer, giving supernatural power for the purpose of Christ-exalting ministry. It's the advance of the Gospel. So those two points are very important that you understand today, to not misunderstand or misrepresent what I'm taking in my position. Spirit indwells the believer at conversion, at the new life, when you come from death to life, and it is permanent. He does not leave. He does not leave. He does not leave. Know that. And two, you are clothed on high with power. And that is the argument that I'll be using is what is taking place in the book of Acts when we hear about this being filled and baptized 
receiving the Holy Spirit is a miraculous work that happens at conversion. And it marks the Christian. You and I, when we receive the Spirit, it is a seal. It is an identification. It's, it's a guarantee that we are His and that it is permanent. It's signifying that we belong to God. We were bought, we were paid for, and we're His. Receiving the Spirit is something that only happens to the born-again believer. An unregenerate person cannot have the Spirit abiding within. It can't happen. In Ephesians 1.13, we hear, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There it is. It's a sealing. It's a permanency. We look at Acts 1.4. Again, this is our, our primary passage today as we're reading. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. The apostles, or Jesus tells the apostles not to leave until they are clothed in this power. So don't leave until you receive this power. The apostles had already been chosen, as we read previously to the book of Acts. This Acts, this book of Acts can be looked at as like a segue into what is the start and spread of the church. So we read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the accounts of who Christ is, and they all focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This book of Acts is, is a segue into the rest of the Scriptures that is the beginning of the church. So the apostles, they'd already been chosen by God, and, as I'm going to argue, they already have had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them as we get to this point in Acts. So when we look back at one of these Gospels, we're looking back into like John 13.10, Jesus says to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. This is talking about that, that washing, that regeneration of the spoken word. And you are clean. And then here he says, but not every one of you. That not every one of you is talking about Judas, who we know went out from them because he was not of them. Paul affirms this truth as we look forward into Romans 8-9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Here's the qualification of Paul. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is another one of those verses. If you're following with me, it's kind of quick to flip around. But this is one of those powerful verses of affirmation and, and the continuation and the permanency of, of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who does not have the, the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Repeat that in your heads as you go about your day, no matter whether you're feeling like you're in a drench and you feel like just God's nowhere around you. You're saying, where are you, Lord? Where are you? Where's this, where this power? Where's this, where's this spirit? Where's this love and this closeness that I'm supposed to feel? Just reaffirm in your minds 
as you hear the words of Paul in Romans 8, verse 9. It says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You do have the Spirit of Christ. And as we just looked at, He only dwells within the believer, and He doesn't leave. Jesus promises His helper the Spirit that we talk about. Again, I'm I'm looking at this point of receiving the Spirit upon conversion. This is what we're talking about right now. This this receiving the Spirit, His permanency, and His his indwelling, and His never leaving. Jesus promises His helper in John 14, 6. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you, here's the word, forever. Forever. That is, again, that's that reassurance, that permanency Father will send you a helper to be with you forever. Now when we're looking at this contrast, we have to pull in and look at the differences between Luke's writing and Paul's writing. Because there's an argument that can be made and I'm going to speak on for just a couple minutes here that baptism is baptism. And, and you know, if, if, if Luke's talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then Paul's talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, they're the same thing. I'm going to make the argument today that they're not. And one of the ideas of interpreting Scripture and understanding Scripture appropriately, properly, is by that context which I spoke of who is speaking and who are they speaking to, and what are they speaking about? And that's the contrast I'm going to look at today when we're looking at the argument that Paul has uh, against uh, versus Paul versus Luke when he uses the word baptism in a different way when talking about the same thing. So in 1 Corinthians 12:13, Paul says, "For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body." Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now here is the important thing as we look at the letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. What, first we see that Paul is writing it, or wrote it, and we say he's writing it to the church in Corinth, and then we say, what is Paul trying to communicate? To understand the contrast between Luke's letter and Paul said it. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, is talking and his focus is on spiritual gifts. Leading up to the verse uh, 13, where Paul uh, identifies the distinguishing gifts in the church, uh, but he emphasizes all being one in Christ, despite their cultural differences or their God-gifted differences, which there are many of. Uh, we see Paul arguing this point He's, because of the divisiveness we saw in the church and, and, the, and, and the idea that one spiritual gift was superior to the other and people were causing factions and saying, but I do this and he does that. And, and Paul is essentially writing this letter to say, yes, those things are true as far as the gifts, but realize you're all one in Christ and one body and all needed for 
the church to be and to flourish and advance the kingdom. You are all one. You are all bought with the price, the same price that Christ paid. Paul emphasizes that unifying work of the Holy Spirit and its permanency and dwelling of that Spirit, as we see indicated in Romans 8 9, which I'll repeat because it's important. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. You can't bounce back and forth from belonging to God and not belonging to God. That would contradict that foreverness that the Bible speaks of. God wants us assured that we are sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit abides within the regenerate and stays within the regenerate. And Paul, when he uses this terminology of saying, for you were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, his focus is on that unifying work that is done at regeneration into the body of Christ forever. And that's what his focus is. Paul uses that word baptism to describe this, and it's right, and it's accurate, and I would never claim otherwise. It's not the wrong word. It couldn't be explained better, a different way. Paul's explanation in 1 Corinthians 12 is correct, and it doesn't conflict with Luke's use of the word. They're just used differently. Now we look a little bit at this baptism of the Holy Spirit. This being baptized by the Holy Spirit is what we witness here in the opening scenes of Acts. Jesus prepares the people for this new ministry, this glorious idea that God had had from before the foundation of the world, this entity that we are partakers of today called the church. Its birth is read about in this book. It is the beginning of this work. Jesus prepares the people for their commission. He's he's revealed Himself to the apostles. This book of Acts isn't just a book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's also the Acts of Jesus. He reveals Himself to the apostles post-resurrection, showing that He has conquered death, that He is sovereign over life and death. He says, there's work to be done, but commanded that they wait Remember where we are at the point of this story, of the history, the description part of the beginnings of the church. He said there's work to be done, but commanded that they wait for the Holy Spirit. Which in one idea can be confusing. It's like if we argue that there is this one entry of the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus says, now wait Again, for the Holy Spirit, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't jive? It doesn't make sense. But if we look at this in the perspective of how Luke talks about this, it does make sense. This baptism 
they were awaiting would begin their ministry and the purposes God had intended for them at the time for the birth of the church. And this key word as we listen, the advance of the gospel. This filling or baptism in the Holy Spirit is something we see all throughout the book of Acts. And one of the reasons I wanted to emphasize this point today as we begin the study through this book so that there is no confusion at what's happening because we see this filling throughout the, 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 the book of Acts. And if, if we don't understand it in the right perspective, we'll be like, well, what, what's happening here? I want to parallel Acts 1 with Luke 24. So we're looking at both letters from Luke. Acts is written by Luke. Luke is written by Luke. Acts 1 and Luke 24. Jesus and these verses are paralleled as He says, stay until you receive power. So this is the same event as we look at Acts 1.4. And if you want to thumb through Luke 24.49, you could keep, you know, flip back and forth and look at the two and see the importance of the parallel here as we're talking about this filling of the Holy Spirit and understanding what Luke means. He says in Acts 1.4, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking about the apostles saying, This day is coming before you begin the work of the beginning of the church. And in Luke 24, 49, it says, And behold, so here's this parallel, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city. And here's the contrast, but it's in parallel to the same event until you are clothed with power from on high. So in Acts 1, he says, until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 24:49, same event, same letters or same same author talking about the same time that Jesus is talking about waiting for something, that something being the Holy Spirit and the parallel is that in Luke 24:49, he says clothed with power from on high. He doesn't say wait don't depart until you're born again. He doesn't say, wait. Wait until you're a member of the church and bought into the church. He doesn't say, wait until you are mine. And I make it official. He says, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Now I want to revisit this idea of the the prescriptive versus the descriptive perspectives of the book of Acts. Again, 100% prescriptive would say something like you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit before starting a new ministry like a Bible study or or preaching or or evangelism. So 100% prescriptive would miss apply this truth to prescribe it to people saying, hey, if you're going to start a women's ministry or a women's Bible study, you better just sit around and start praying for the Holy Spirit to baptize you before you get started. That would be 100% 
prescriptive. And that's why I say that's not how we look at that. 100% descriptive understanding would say something like the apostles needed this baptism in order to start the church back then, but it is only for these people at this period of time. So it's just a refocusing on what, it, what the difference is between this prescriptive and descriptive idea of the book of Acts. The apostles absolutely needed this baptism and filling of the Spirit. Jesus said it. It was a very specific instruction and command to the apostles. Don't leave until you receive power from me. That is a descriptive moment in history where God had said this purpose, this ministry, this time must require the power of the Holy Spirit and the feeling of the Holy Spirit in your life because you are about to experience abundant persecution and hatred and division amongst the people of Israel. These apostles needed it. And I argue the same point today. There are times when we need it. And it is for God to determine. And we don't know when, how, or why that it's going to happen. It's not always prescriptive because you don't always need the filling of the Spirit to do all ministry all the time. Can I repeat that? It's not prescriptive because you don't need the filling of the Spirit to do all ministry all the time. When I look at this filling, this power, I want to talk for just the last couple minutes here about Douglas Church and the prescription that it means for us. I open with talking about fearfully searching and understanding what I'm going to ultimately be teaching on from week to week. And even when it comes to things like this, part of me just never wants to move forward because there is so much more work and digging and looking at specific words and studying and praying that can be done just in the first chapter of Acts. We are talking about really important truths as we talk about this filling of the Spirit. Why? I struggle when I see the state of the church today. Now I'm not going to sit here for these last couple minutes and start sweeping all these 
churches broadly into this wastebasket somewhere. That's not my intention here. But it is undeniable that as we look upon the church today in great numbers, there's just a staleness. How, how on earth can a body of believers gather together to worship a risen and reigning and powerful King that is working through those very people to perform miracles. Miracles. You are talking about speaking the word of life into people and seeing death, dry bones, raise up and see these lives transformed with power and authority. And you can walk into a church today and see staleness? Not possible, I argue with myself. It's not possible to see such unreactive people who are members of this miraculous body of God's. When we go forward, as we talk about the newness of this congregation, we are going to be going forward with the powerful conviction that God has not only commissioned us to be proclaimers of His truth, but that God empowers us with a divine and miraculous power from on high to do impossible things. You guys, this baptism of the Spirit is it never something that I'm going to say we sit around and just wait and shout and yell, Lord, give me your Spirit, give me your Spirit. It's for God's deciding. God says, I want to do this right now. Think of that again, that, that, that imagery of being swooped up at, at moments in your walk as a Christian. Think of that startling and looking upon the face of your God and just that overwhelming joy, those fuses about to burst. God will choose when to do that in our lives. And it will be at points when we need it. But listen to this point. As I look upon staleness of some of these churches, you have not, because you ask not. We need to be expecting and petitioning the Lord for this divine power, for this energy, for this clothing and filling of God and Spirit. Listen to the word in Luke 11.13. This is one of these verses that had, in a big part of my past, just confused me. Luke 11.13 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? My goodness. 
that verse is not talking about people sitting and Lord save me Lord save me with your spirit Lord will you save me give me your spirit please no that's Luke we look at the parallels of how Luke talks about this baptizing the spirit this filling the spirit God says ask for it and we need to be searching for that we need to be asking for his filling especially during those impossible times where we feel like we just can't go forward anymore. It doesn't mean we don't go forward. Again, that prescriptiveness that we don't look 100% at, it doesn't mean I have this impossible task to do and I'm just going to sit here, Lord, until you baptize me, until you fill me. That's not what, that, that's, not what that's saying. That's why it's not 100% prescriptive. But he says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts. Luke talks about the Spirit being a gift. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We need this revitalization, not just in this church, but in Douglas and the United States and throughout the world. God takes pleasure in doing this miraculous work. And I will, again, argue that we don't have to have this every time we feel we need it. Because miracles have never, as we see in the Scriptures, resulted in a consistent and faithful walk of the people. I mean, you look at how you can walk through a split sea Miraculous, right? Miraculous event. A miracle. And on the other side, you start burning down your gold and worshiping idols. Miracles don't encourage a faithful and continuous walk. That's why I love that imagery of holding the Father's hand because He's always there. He's always there. And you're always walking right next to Him. And He always cares about you and He always loves you. And that's the consistency. That's the perseverance that we have as that walking side by side with the Father. But let's go forward expectantly as we seek being clothed from on high with divine power in Douglas Church as we go forward and seeing the advance of His kingdom here in Douglas, Arizona, we want to see power and might. My vision for, 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 the, the, for the church is not revolutionary. It's not new. It's simply that we see plainly and the purpose that which we see for the church in the Bible. It's that we're utterly dependent on God's Word as an authority for our lives and the ministry of this church. And that we expectantly petition our Lord Jesus for boldness in word-saturated ministry as we proclaim this Gospel here and to the ends of the earth. 
my prayer is that the few of us sitting in this room today would go forward with might and boldness and divine authority knowing, knowing that God is going to use you every one of you for miraculous works that we will see this church multiply and that we will have the heart to penetrate this gospel into every area of darkness on this planet and that will be what we live for and that will be what we die for whether that be when you're 18 or 40 or 60 this is not our home we don't live for the things that the world lives for we're set apart for Christ for the proclamation of the gospel for the glory of Jesus and we praise and worship today through prayer and word and after a few minutes from now in baptism because we want to see people become new and be set apart for the ministry it's an exciting thing you guys this should be the first of an abundance of baptisms we see in this body Let's expect it and desire it and to cherish it. Let's pray. Father, we regularly need clarity from you. I just pray. that your spirit be at work regularly with us, Lord. We know that you always abide within. We know that. We see it plainly in the scriptures. You are always there. We are marked. We are sealed. We are yours. Nothing will change that. Father, I pray as ambassadors for Christ that we never distort your truth. Whether it be the proclamation of the word from the pulpit of a church or from the speaking of one of your saints at work or along the street, Lord. I pray for clarity and understanding of your truth in this body. And I pray for miraculous work of this church to go forward with boldness and power as we live for you and love you and serve you and die for you. Father, you are worthy of it all. We thank you for the newness of life that you bring and the hope in this dark world that we can cling to, knowing that you fulfill all of your promises. Knowing that this momentary suffering in this world is producing 
an eternal weight of glory. And we suffer for you, Lord. Not cling to the pleasures of this world, but to the joy and pleasures of knowing and living with our King forever. Father, bless this group and bless our ministry as we go forward as humble servants. We love you and we serve you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.